Well, remember what the question was last week for those of you who were here or happened to listen to the sermon. The question was, why are you here? And we addressed that. Why are, did you come to church the Sunday morning? Why are you sitting there in the pew? And the answer was, hopefully it's to worship God, to serve others, and to worship him alone. So if I had to come up with a question to summarize this week's service or this week's sermon, excuse me, it would be, what do I do when I get out there? What do I do when I get outside of these church walls? Well, a good place to start was Jake's children's sermon, wonderful children's sermon. Thank you to put into practice Jesus' command in Matthew 28 that he read, but let's just look at the words together on the screen. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I don't know about you, but I personally find that a very challenging task. I mean, if it, if it wasn't, the world would already be filled with just Christians everywhere, right? There'd be tons of people following Christ, being molded into the image of Christ, committed to the mission of Christ. But for the most part, when we look around, it's really not. It's not even close. When we look around Chatham or the world, there's still a lot of work to be done. So today we're going to look at Paul's thoughts on concerning the power of the gospel in this discipleship-making process. The very thing we're supposed to be doing when we leave those, those doors and we go out there. But before we get into that this morning, I'm sure when you hear a statement like that, some of you might think, oh great, my life is already so busy and now on top of work and school and family and keeping up with social media and sports and everything else I have to do, Mark's going to challenge me to find the time to go out there and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel. How am I going to do that? Or some of you might think, the way the world is today, just the thought of, of going out and sharing the gospel or making a disciple, I don't want to risk that. There's too much backlash on social media, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to risk that, sharing Christ with others. You know, at one time, the Apostle Paul might have had similar feelings, but he realized the first step, it begins with the word that we've already mentioned a couple times, the six-letter, small little word called the gospel. We have to understand it. We have to embrace it to be a disciple, and then we have to... We have to um, understand it to make disciples. And the good news, though, is that with this thing called the gospel, we can be more than conquerors, right? We can, we can refocus our life. We can repair broken relationships. We can overcome immorality, right? We can, we can be delivered from abuses. And in the words of Jesus, you can actually store up treasures in heaven by being committed to his mission. That's the power of the gospel. And if you doubt me, consider this following quote. They all declined the generous offer. They all declined the generous offer. Does that make sense? Well, let me give you some insight to the context. In the summer of 2009, there were four Somalian Christians making disciples by working in an orphanage in southern Somalia. And on July 27th, they were kidnapped by that extreme Islamic group called Al-Shabaab. And one by one, their heads were put on a chopping block. And they were told if they deny Christ, their lives would be spared. If they refused, they would be executed. And the Christian Post that year stated, and I quote, according to one eyewitness account, all four of the apostates 
were given an opportunity to return to Islam to be released, but they all declined the generous offer. Now, after sharing their story with you this morning, what do you think prepared them for that moment when they were called to pick up their cross and give their lives for Christ? And as you're mulling over that, let me, let me throw another little hypothetical at you, at you a little bit closer to home. Imagine that one fine Sunday morning in the, in the distant future that these doors, these two side doors, bust open and in walks the authorities and they take away the leaders of the church for teaching or preaching the gospel. What would you do? And you might say, Mark, that's silly. I mean, that's never going to happen in America, right? We're founded on religious liberty. And, and I think, well, there's a lot of things happening right now that I never thought I would see happen in America. Not to mention that that scenario occurs in every day somewhere around the world and to a much greater extent than that. So the point is not to dwell on a bunch of hypotheticals this morning, but to realize that in places like Somalia or North Korea or China, places that make it so hard for someone to be a Christian, right? How is it that the church is still there and in some ways thriving? How are they still making disciples in those places despite all those persecutions? And I'm going to bring to you this morning that I believe it's the power of the gospel. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to join me in Philippians chapter 1. And as you get out your Bibles, maybe turn to Philippians 1 or your phone, let me share with you another story about the power of the gospel in somebody's life. And it's in the life of a man named Paul. When Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, it's in the latter part of his life. And as you know, at one point, this young man named Paul had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was changed completely, a complete 180. He shifted from being committed to destroying the church to being completely committed to the mission of Christ. And for over 20 years, Paul was determined to do this thing that I'm talking about today, to make disciples. He traveled the world to share the gospel. He started churches on two different continents, Europe and Asia, including in the Greek city of Philippi, to whom he's writing this letter. And during that time, if you look through the scriptures and the word, storms couldn't stop him, beatings couldn't slow him down, demons couldn't silence him. Wherever he went, people heard about the grace of God and they were changed. So, here in Philippians 1, Paul is in jail in Rome, which means for him, no more mission trips, no more church planning, Maybe even no more tomorrow. He's in jail. And as he writes this, he's on the eve of his trial. And to be honest, he doesn't even know if he's going to live or die. But he isn't worried. Okay? Because the gospel is advancing. Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So... When Paul opens up, now I want you to know, brothers, it's kind of like him saying to his friends back there in Greece, he's saying, guys, listen up. It's one of those attention-getting statements. Guys, listen up, because what I'm going to say is very important, and it emphasizes what is follows. And what follows, if you remember, or if you're looking at it, said circumstances that somehow turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And what were some of those circumstances? You guys could probably all mention some because we've all studied Paul throughout our lives. Four years prior to this, Paul was gone to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And there, because the Jews thought he brought a Gentile into the sanctuary, they took him out into the streets, they beat him, they about killed him. But Paul was rescued by a Roman soldier who intervened. 
And he was taken before the Roman authorities. And that is when, if you remember, that 40 Jews said, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until Paul is killed. They made that commitment to each other. So Paul appeals to Festus, excuse me, to Felix, who kept him in prison for two years in Caesarea before hearing his case. And finally, Paul appealed to Caesar and was shipped to Rome. And on his way, he was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, forced to winter on the island, and in the spring he finally made it to Rome, only to be placed under house arrest and chained to a guard 24-7. So those are the circumstances of Paul. But Paul said the very things that were supposed to thwart the gospel ended up advancing it. And if it was true in Paul's day, do you think it could happen today? It means that the people who are trying to stop the gospel in Somalia and in other places around the world, including our country, they really don't know what they're messing with. Because if there's one word that sums up the gospel, it's power. It's the most powerful force on earth. And persecution only seems to fuel it. So from a human standpoint, it's safe to assume that if, if we put Paul in prison or, or kill a Christian, that the spread of the gospel will be stopped. But here Paul writes, no, 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 no. On the contrary, the gospel will still move forward because it's unstoppable. So if you ever get discouraged as a Christian, or you're struggling to see what God is doing in the world around us, and I think, how am I ever going to make disciples in this in the mess, the world gone mad? Remember, we're entrusted with this force that just, it's not going to be stopped. It cannot be stopped. On the screen is a cute little picture of a couple starfish. Now, although they're cute and they're harmless, right, starfish can actually be a nuisance to some people at some times. The average starfish there eats up to 50 clams a week in the wild. So if you're a clam fisherman or you make your living off of going out and catching clams and there's an abundance, abundance of starfish, you might not like them too much. In that case, when you catch one in your net, you might be tempted just to take out your machete and cut it in half and throw it overboard, right? Because they're a nuisance for you. But the problem is that even when you cut a starfish right down the middle into five different parts, each one of those five parts grows and regenerates into another fully developed starfish. And over time, the problem you were trying to solve, it actually gets worse before, instead of getting better. And that's what Paul is trying to convey to his friends here in Philippi, that imprisonment had the exact opposite effect that they thought it would have on the gospel. Because where you can stop a person, you cannot stop the gospel. Putting Paul in prison was just like cutting that starfish in half because Paul wasn't in there for murder or for drugs or some other criminal offense. He was in there for spreading for the sake of the gospel. So that means for us looking at this, that God wasn't watching the series of events from heaven and going, oh no, Paul's thrown in jail. What are we going to do now? No, he was there because God put him there. He was there for a reason. And sometimes we got to look and see how God is working in these mysterious ways because his ways are often higher than our ways. Now, in honor of the Super Bowl, okay, I'm going to have to take one of my three allotted timeouts, and I'm going to have to call a timeout right now. Okay? Because call a timeout because I realize we're throwing around this term, the gospel, quite frequently today. So let's nail down this before we even go any further. If the gospel is crucial for making disciples, then we have to know 
and be on the same page of what we're talking about. So try to answer this question in your mind right now. The gospel is, is what? How would you fill in that sentence? The gospel is, what is this thing that attacks on it, only cause it to grow and to spread? What is, what is so important about it that Paul makes mention of it six times just in this first chapter alone, the gospel? He always talks about the gospel. Do you know? You know, if I asked 100 people out there, what are some answers we would get? What's the gospel? Some flippantly might say something like, oh, trying to be funny. Oh, it's the style of music, the gospel music. Or they might say, it's a saying, you know, the gospel truth. Or some who've had a little bit of church might say, oh, it's, it's one of the first four books in the New Testament, right? Like the gospel of John. Well, they would be missing the big picture, wouldn't they? Because remember, it's so important you can't be a disciple or make a disciple without it. So here it is, defined by Paul as he writes in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, which I preach to you, which you also receive, in which you also stand. Now this word gospel, Paul uses, comes from a kind of a weird sounding Greek word called, called pronounced euangelion. So let's try to say that together. Ready? Euangelion. One more time. Euangelion. Yeah, not very, not very easy, is it? But that's where we get this English word evangelical. And it literally means good news. And it carries with us this, this notion that God has good news that he wants to share to all mankind. But here's the thing. As we leave church and we're making disciples, we just can't say, I have good news, I have good news, I have good news. Hey, guess what? I have good news. They're going to say... What? Well, what is the good news? And the good news is this, as Paul goes on into verse 3. For I handed down to you as of first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, the good news, the euangelion, is that Christ died. Do Do you realize what that means? That means that if we're attempting out there to do to be nice or to do a good task for somebody or a good deed, but we don't include the fact that Christ died for their sins and we're not sharing the gospel. And the power, we have to realize this morning, is the power is in the gospel. We can travel the world. We can build houses. We can uh, feed the hungry. We can clothe the poor. But if you don't share Christ's death as a payment for sin, it's not the gospel and it's going to be lacking power because Paul says this is where it begins. He said, this is the gospel. It begins with the death. But the, new, but the good news gets better. And that he was buried. And you might ask, well, why is that better, that he was buried? Because Jesus Christ is not some mythical figure like Zeus. Right? He's a real human being who, was, who suffered a, a physical, painful death and was buried. And this was confirmed by professional executioners of the day who pronounced him dead on arrival, right? And they proceeded to bury his lifeless corpse. So when he died, the sin of everyone who would believe upon him died with him. And fourth and final, or in 4B, the third point that Paul mentions about his gospel is that, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know, Today, it's very popular to focus on the teachings of Jesus, and those are great. I mean, I'm in a class right now where we just talked about the parables for like three weeks, and those are fine, and they're great, but he didn't come just to be a good teacher. And you can study the miracles, and those are nice to study, but he didn't come just to amaze us, right? He came 
to live, die, be buried, and to rise again for the forgiveness of our sins. And that is the gospel, and that is what we have to share with others. And that is why Paul was able to say with his imprisonment that his imprisonment was for the advancement of that, of that fact. And do you know what and where it advanced to while he was behind, behind prison bars? Let's, let's take a minute, a minute and look at that. So, Paul writes, that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So, some of you are history buffs and know about the Praetorian Guard. They sound like a serious bunch of guys, don't they? They were Roman special forces numbering about 10,000 people to serve the emperor. And they were the most courageous and often the best educated men in the army. And from their ranks would come very influential people that would serve at different positions throughout the empire. They would retire kind of early after 12 years of service and often take a political office. And you can kind of relate to that to some generals in our, in our time that have become presidents or served in high political offices. And so when Paul was transferred to Rome, he was handcuffed to one of these guys, to one of these soldiers in, in four-hour shifts. What a mission field for Paul, right? What a mission field. Can you imagine being handcuffed to the Apostle Paul for four hours? I mean, you talk about a captive audience. And here is just another example of the gospel, how it's going to be unstoppable. Paul's enemies thought, again, you know, let's just imprison him. Imprison him. And that'll stop the gospel from spreading to anyone. Again, we'll just cut that starfish in half and, and throw it overboard. But now he's got this brand new audience, one he would have never, ever, ever reached if he wasn't put in prison and chained to this Praetorian guard. Because again, there's just no mistakes with God. Paul is suffering in jail because God wants him there. And that becomes obvious to everybody around him, including those chained to him. So let's stop talking about Paul just for a minute. Let's talk about us. Okay? If, if you stood for the gospel like Paul and were even willing to suffer for it, what would you expect other Christians in the congregation to be doing? Or let me ask, let me ask it this way. If we, took a, we had an example from Somalia earlier and we looked at them. Let's say they're looking at us. Let's turn the tables and they're looking at us and they see pretty comfortable, generally compliant Christians. What do you think those who are suffering for the cause of the gospel expect from us? How should we respond to them? You know, what can we learn from them? Well, while being persecuted, let's see what Paul says about his fellow Christians and learn from that. Paul writes in verses 14 through 17, and that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defender of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. Paul looks back to Philippi and sees both positive and negative reactions to him being in prison. In prison. And let's start with the negative first because it's kind of, kind of deflating to see actually that others were trying to cause the Apostle Paul distress while he's in prison. And in order to drive this point home, I need to defer to another sports example. So what sport should I choose for the day? Football in the honor of the Super Bowl, right? 
And I'm not a Chiefs fan by any means, but I am actually rooting for Tom Brady today. Um, and historically, I never thought this day would come. But I am going to root for Tom Brady. But, but I'm going to use the Chiefs as an example. The picture on the screen captures a defining moment in Kansas City Chiefs history. The year was 2012. Patrick Mahomes was, was, was still in diapers, basically. Well, not really. He was, he was pretty young. The Chiefs fans were frustrated because their starting quarterback right there, Matt Castle, they were, they were frustrated with him. And so when he got hammered late in the game versus Baltimore, he laid on the field unconscious there. And do you know what they did in Kansas City? They started cheering the fact that their quarterback got hurt. And worse, when he regained consciousness and sat up, do you know how they responded? They booed. They booed him. Can you imagine that scene? Listen, if you, if you decide to follow Christ and love others and, and go out there and make disciples like Paul did, sometimes even our own Christian brothers will let you down. They might even boo us. They won't be supportive. I felt that firsthand from some of my brothers in Christ when I decided to officially go into the ministry. They'll criticize They'll claim they have a better way. They'll claim to have the answers. They act like Chiefs fans, for the lack of a better example. They did with Paul by preaching Christ out of envy and strife and rivalry, it said. Just like Matt Castle could hear the boos, boos of the home crowd as they carted him off the field, Paul could hear these jeers, these boos from his fellow believers while he's in prison, while he's making disciples. And for what it's worth, if if that Chiefs fan mentality describes you this morning, if you're motivated by envy or rivalry or you can't wait to see someone else get hammered or fail in their service for the Lord for whatever reason or even just any example outside of the church walls, then I think it's time to address your own heart and to repent because that type of attitude will hinder relationships within the body, but it's never going to stop the gospel Nothing can stop the gospel. But, all of not, but not all of Paul's brothers acted in a selfish manner. Others became bold and witnessed like Paul did in, throughout Philippi and Rome and throughout the empire. His example challenged them. And I'm hoping his example challenges us this morning. If he could do it, they could do it. If he could speak up from prison, they could speak up wherever they are. Right? If he could decline the generous offer, so could they. Paul knew if he was faithful... God could use him regardless of the circumstances around him. And the same is so true for us today. Just think of the circumstances that you have in your life right now. So much different than mine, so much different than Mike's, so much different than Rick's. Whatever that is, Paul can use those, excuse me, God can use those circumstances to his glory for the gospel, for the spread of the gospel. Often when we're prompted to share the gospel, it's not in an ideal circumstances. But what does that do? That just gives the glory all the more to God, right? Shows how powerful and, and, and sovereign he is. We can make disciples and we take our eyes off of ourselves and focus them on Jesus. So let's finish up with verse 18. What then, Paul writes, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Translation, Christ will be proclaimed. 
Paul, while they're trying to cause him distress, Paul is just glad in a way that Christ is being proclaimed and the gospel is being advanced. And no one and nothing is going to stop it. Not a person, not a government, not a virus, not another religion, not the gates of hell. Christ will be proclaimed. And when we believe that, we believe the gospel, step one, we become a disciple. And then when we embrace it, we can start making disciples. Paul writes shortly in this chapter, a little bit later, he says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. That kind of mindset is just so radical, right? It's so radical. But that's the kind of life that's evident when Christ is inside and changing you through the power of the gospel. When you have the courage to decline that generous offer, right? And be willing to witness in our society. Paul didn't know if he would live or die, but there's one thing that Paul knew for certain. He knew he would testify before Caesar. Because as he's writing this, Acts 23.11 tells us that God told him he will go before Caesar. Now, God never told him what the verdict would be, only that the power of the gospel would be working through Paul, and that was enough for Paul. And the good news is that Paul was released and enjoyed many, many years of ministry before he was arrested again and then executed it's really amazing with one man what the power of the gospel can do and have such a profound impact on the world. And those of us gathered today, maybe we could just take a moment and just look to your left and look to your right and just think what would happen if just a small group really made it our focus to leave these doors this morning and to go. And to make disciples by spreading the gospel. Not just saying it, but by, but by living it. And as you live it, you can appreciate the power and the boldness of Paul. And in extension, what it offers to us. That we don't have to worry about backlash on Facebook or anything else. Because after all, after all, what can people really do to you? What? When you're out there serving the Lord, what can people really do to you? I'll tell you what they can't do, okay? They can't undo the power of the gospel, what it's done in your life, okay? Nobody can take that away from you. I mean, not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come, not heights, not depths, not anything else in creation. Right? Nothing can take that away from you. And if you know that to be true, then we shouldn't act like, we shouldn't keep it a secret sometimes. Right? The world needs it desperately. And this is what Paul means when he's challenging the Philippians in an upcoming verse to strive side by side for the sake of the, you got it, the gospel. In other words, put your petty differences aside and be committed to the mission of Christ. The gospel, the message of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection means in the long run we have nothing to fear. The power of God is working in us. And recently, let's just think, of a recent example of, of that within our church body. We saw how Connor traveled to Haiti to do just this, to share the gospel, to serve and to love others. And there were probably a million reasons for him not to go, right? The virus, general safety issues. And you know why the practice of voodoo seems very silly to us in the United States, in Haiti, over 50% of the people, roughly about 50% of the people, practice voodoo, and they don't like Christians. They're not friendly to them at all. 
But with all those dangers and obstacles, how awesome is it that Connor was determined to go? Connor didn't get that type of assurance and confidence from going to a gym or from hanging out in a bar. That only comes from the power of God changing his life from the inside. It's the power of knowing that Christ died for you, was buried, and rose again. The power of the gospel. So my challenge to you is just simply today that last week we looked at what's a good attitude to have in church. And my challenge for you today is now we leave and what should we do? We should be making disciples. It should be our mission. But know that it's going to be, the results aren't going to be nearly as fruitful unless we include the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. That's where the power is. Let's, uh, let's remember that during our communion time as we prepare our hearts for communion. And as we sing, Nancy's going to lead us in three verses of victory in Jesus. Because that's what we have. And that's what we should be so grateful and thankful for. And we should want to share with others. So let's sing that this way.